Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast with me, James Roberts, transformational coach, two-time Paralympian, and TEDx speaker. I have another awesome episode for you today, so let's get straight into it. And on today's show, I've got Mitch Khan. Mitch is a personal trainer, fat loss expert, and body transformational specialist. With so much conflicting and contradictory information out there, it can be very frustrating and confusing to know what to do. In his own experience, he's experimented with many diets over the years, and while he's lost a few pounds, he eventually fell off the wagon and yo-yoed back up in his weight. Eventually, his weight ballooned up to 265 pounds. He had high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high triglyceride, and was pre-diabetic. It wasn't until he hit a low point by breaking a chair with a 250-pound weight limit that he knew he had to change his unhealthy lifestyle. Over time, he slowly changed his eating, exercise, and lifestyle habits and was able to heal the years of abuse he had subjected his body through a lack of exercise and a total disregard for what he ate. In less than a year, he had lost 75 pounds, which he has kept off for over 12 years, gotten off all medications and had greatly boosted his energy and confidence levels in fact he he was recently measured at having a physical age 29 years younger than his chronological age he realized he had unlocked the secrets of lifelong fat loss so welcome on to the show mitch yeah thanks james and i probably should expand on that a little bit because i uh I actually have gone through two transformations in my life. That's the first one. The second one occurred about five years ago. And what happened at that point, so even though I had gotten healthier, I got diagnosed with two different medical conditions pretty much in the same month. I first was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And not too long after that, I took what's called a uh, coronary artery uh, scan, and they found quite a bit of plaque buildup in my, my arteries. And the ideal score for that is zero. And my score was over 1400. So I had to go back to the drawing board. And and I think a lot of that is attributable to having an awful diet throughout most of my adult life. But I went back to the drawing board, did a lot of research and basically became a plant-based eater. And that was about five years ago. And by doing that, one, I was able to keep the prostate cancer in check. So I still own my prostate. I didn't have to have it surgically removed. Uh, and all I go through is uh, what's called active surveillance, where every three to six months I have my PSA taken. And it's actually remained fairly steady to the point where the last biopsy I had, my Gleason score, which is sort of the way they categorize the level of cancer in your prostate had actually gone down. 
and the doctor as well as myself attributed it, attributed it to a combination of being plant-based as well as you know the exercise regimen that I put myself through and same thing with the the heart uh, the issue with the plaque in the arteries I've gone through several stress tests over the last five years and the thing that stands out is that I score really well. In fact, the cardiologist said to me that he hopes when he uh, has to do his, that he scores as well as, as me. So I attribute that to the way I eat and the way I take care of myself. And uh, that became basically my second transformation story. And Mitch, you talked a little bit about, you know, you've gone on a plant-based transformation. For those that don't know the difference between what is plant-based and, and, and veganism, can you give them a little bit of an educational lesson? Sure. Um, and probably should throw vegetarianism in there as well. Um, the, the difference between vegetarianism and veganism starting there is a lot of vegetarians will include dairy and eggs in their diet. Whereas if you're vegan, you're not going to have any animal products whatsoever. And that would include honey because that's a product of bees, obviously. Um, so veganism is more of an ethical movement as well as a potentially eating uh, or dietary eating style, uh, although there's a lot of vegan junk food out there as well. When, when you say plant-based, uh, and I probably have to distinguish that because I'm whole food plant-based. So what that means is that for the most part, uh, my diet consists of whole foods, uh, not raw, but you know, cooked, but mainly whole grains, beans, uh, vegetables, fruits. Um, so very, very little processed food. So that's whole food plant-based as opposed to plant-based. Because when you're plant-based, the you know, definition is sort of blurry because some people call themselves plant-based but will still include a little bit of meat in their diet uh, or fish or or poultry, um, I call that plant plant predominant. But people people use different terminology. But the main difference between veganism and plant based eating is a general generally speaking is veganism is associated more with a ethical movement uh, toward animals as well as eating, whereas whole food plant based is geared more toward just dietary style. Okay. And, and and the transition was it was it, was it fairly I almost say simplistic was it was it an easy transition for you to make or was it very a few up, upheaval moments no because i had the support of my wife we we pretty much cleaned out our fridge fridge and uh, pantry and donated the food um, and just basically made the switch to plant-based eating overnight. Um, 
I don't necessarily recommend that because sometimes that's pretty hard uh, for a lot of people to do. So when I coach people, we we go through a little longer transition period, and that could that could be based on you know cutting out maybe meat at first, and then meat and poultry, and then meat, poultry, and fish, or it could be just eating plant-based on certain days. It all depends on on what the person uh, can live with. Because it's hard, it's hard to make the transition. You know, if, if you're used to eating meat and that's sort of part of how you've grown up. Uh, for me, I think it was a little easier because I had, my wife and I had become pescatarians. Um, which is basically eat fish and you know fruits and vegetables and other whole foods. Um, about a year before we went totally whole food plant based, and that was that was just a choice we made. That wasn't really geared to the health issues that I was uh, experiencing. It was just, but it made the transition easier just to be able to cut out the fish. And also, you, you've obviously competed at the Senior Olympics. Was was that transition before or after that? That was actually after that. So I, I competed in the Senior Olympics uh, in 2019, which uh, was, what, a little over a year ago. So, and that was, that was a... Uh, I've always been competitive and I I enjoyed working out and I had actually trained a fella a couple years earlier, a 70 year old who w wanted to prepare for a senior Olympics. Uh, and he had been competing for a little bit, but he wanted to improve in his events and he was a track and field athlete and so i ended up training him and he did really well he actually won several gold medals at the national level um but he kept saying you know you need to do this you're you're in better shape than most of the athletes out there and i uh i eventually talked myself into to doing it and uh it was a lot of fun and Back in 2019, Mitch, were you the only one that was plant-based slash vegan that that you knew of? In in my at the Senior Olympics or just in general? At uh, the Senior Olympics. Yeah, as far as I know, at, yeah. Uh, now they, I didn't get to the nationals because they canceled them because of COVID. Uh, and, but I know that there are people who are vegan that have competed at the national level too. Uh, but that was that was where I was headed uh, if if COVID hadn't happened. And do you think within the the realms of sports now, and a little bit less with the the general populace, do you think it's gonna you're gonna see more and more? athletes turning their head to either whole plant food that you were talking about or to, to veganism to, to be able to 
I won't say enhance their performance because everybody's each to their own. Um, but do you think more and more people are going to do it for for the both the ethical reasons, but there's also a little bit of um, what have I got to lose by trying something slightly a bit different? Yeah, there, there's actually uh, there was a movie that came out a couple of years ago called The Game Changers that highlighted quite a number of uh, vegan athletes in all all different sports and they all talk about the same same thing how it enhanced their performance because um, they had less inflammation so they recovered faster and and they would they would do well in the, in their sports um, I think I think you'll probably see more of that um, two years ago uh, quite a number I live in Nashville Tennessee quite a number of players on the Tennessee Titans football team uh, went vegan. Uh, one of the players, uh, uh, his wife was a vegan chef and she convinced the team to let her bring food in for some of the players. And then it grew to probably about 15 different players uh, eating that way. And they all talked about how it improved their performance, their recovery. Um, and that seems to be the general theme that you hear from a lot of athletes that uh, that try it. I know there's a number of vegans in the NBA um, as well as in uh, Major League Baseball. There's a couple I know in professional soccer, um, in uh, MMA, um, bicycling, so there, yeah, I think, I think it's spreading and uh, I think as more and more people understand the benefits of, especially the anti-inflammatory effects of eating more plant-based and how it really helps performance and recovering. Uh, I think you'll see, I think you'll see more athletes at least try it out. And with you working with a obviously a little bit more, oh, I don't want to be I don't want to be rude or condescending here because I don't want to get abused for anybody, let alone yourself. But in terms of work, working with it, population are slightly older. Do you do you think they see more health benefits as a result of going veganism as opposed to maybe somebody? That's maybe in their thir late thirties, early twenties. You know, the the ones that possibly jumped on the bandwagon in the in the early days uh, of veganism, especially. Do you think they're seeing more noticeable results as as I don't want to put as a result as a consequence of, of making that transition from uh, you know what, what is very much a historical Western diet of you know eating a lot lot of quantity of, of meat, especially in the United States, to then going obviously pre predominantly plant based. Yeah, I, I yeah I think a number of people who follow me are are older and they talk about the health benefits that they achieve in terms of getting off meds, in terms of less aches and pains in their joints. Um, in terms of helping with heart issues, with uh, type 2 diabetes issues, uh, with losing weight in general. Because when you eat plant-based, 
you literally don't have to almost worry about counting calories or, or macros. You can, because the caloric density of plant-based food is um, much lower than, you know, meats, oils, processed foods, you can eat quite a bit more and maintain or lose weight on it. Um, my wife's perfect example, when, when we went plant-based, and she's always been slight in build, but she lost 10 pounds that she didn't really want to lose just by, by eating plant-based. Um, but the interesting thing is it, it helped because she had, because she had smaller bones. She dealt with osteoporosis and by going plant-based, it actually, along with doing weight bearing exercises really helped her uh, move out of being or having osteoporosis. Uh, so it actually improved her bone density. So there's there's a lot of different health benefits that are attributable to the eating that way. But you know, there's I've dealt with younger people too, and I think there's an openness on younger people to try try out plant-based eating or becoming vegan. I think it's more accepted nowadays. There's a lot more plant-based and vegan alternatives in the grocery stores on restaurant menus. So it's, it's becoming, I think, more accepted to the general public and, and you're not thought of anymore as, you know, just having to eat lettuce and greens all the time, uh, like a like rabbit food. Um, you know, I had a client, she was in her mid thirties and was a type one diabetic. And I convinced her to go plant-based and she was able to uh, reduce the amount of insulin she had to take. Now she's always gonna have to take insulin being type one, but she was able to reduce the amount that she had to take daily um, by, by switching, switching her diet. But you talked a little bit there, Mitch, about, you know, you've got to be wary of calorie intakes a little bit less so than, than um, obviously um, the mainstream people within dieting. But you also said at the very beginning of the episode of, you know, veganism with processed food. I obviously know the answer to why those manufacturers are going to create that product, but be it from your standpoint, can it be more troublesome, especially, you know, like seasonal times of the year of, of, of we, we're now uh, obviously in the new year, but obviously Christmas was only a week or so ago as we were recording and Thanksgiving only a couple of weeks prior to that. Does it get a little bit more, I'm going to word t- use the words tedious because ultimately it's it's different for me. So it's if it's something new, it's obviously more difficult and more challenging. But can it be more adverse to, to go veganism, especially those times of the year? 
Yeah, I think the temptation is always there, especially if you're just starting out to uh, to fall back on your old ways. Uh, there's so much good food connected with Thanksgiving and Christmas that I think it becomes tough. But there's there's a lot of alternatives that you can make that um, take the place of of the the food that you might eat on what I'll call a standard Western diet, standard American diet. Um, I, mean, I saw a recipe over the holidays for somebody who made a holiday ham, and I'll put ham in quotes because it was actually made out of uh, uh, Satan, which is a whole wheat gluten product, but it was spiced up to taste like a ham. But, but when you really stop and think about it, people who are who eat meat, if you took all the spices away from the meat and you just ate it plain, I'm not saying raw, but plain, are you really eating the meat for the texture? Are you eating the meat for the spicing up that goes on the meat? And I make the argument to people that you're probably eating it for the spicing of the food. And so you can recreate those spices on plant-based foods. And while the texture might be a wee bit different, you get the same taste. So for instance, we, we meal prep on Sundays for the week uh, just because my wife's schedule and my schedule are, are a little different. So this week we're eating, well, again, I'll put it in quotes, meatloaf, but it's made out of lentils and bulgur as the two main ingredients. It looks like meatloaf, it tastes like meatloaf, it has the same consistency as meatloaf, but it's not meat. And you know, after a while, you have to stop and think and say, why, why am I really eating these foods that have sort of a negative impact potentially from all the scientific research, it has a negative impact on your health and what's going on inside your body. And, and that's not even talking about the ethical reasons of you know, killing animals. I'm just talking about the food here. Uh, and you can create the same tastes, um, but you also develop new tastes. And the beauty of some of the foods that are out there now, let's say, and I think these are, this is probably available in the UK too, uh, the Impossible Burger or the Beyond Burger, which are basically plant-based burgers that even look like they bleed blood like a regular hamburger. And they taste pretty much the same. Now, is that an ideal whole food, plant-based food? No. But for somebody who wants to transition, it's, it's a great way to transition 
from meat eating to non-meat eating. And so those foods serve a purpose, uh, but you also have to be aware of you know, a lot of processed foods that get labeled vegan and people think vegan, oh, that's going to be healthy. And they might not necessarily be healthy because they still will, will have, you know, a high content of fat and salt that, that isn't really good for you. So you have to be careful too, because the food, the food industry is great at marketing things as healthy and natural. And those words really don't have a true meaning when it comes to marketing, except to try and sell a product to unsuspecting uh, the unsuspecting consumer. So let me throw a spanner in the works here then, Mitch. Um, for the skepticals, I, I'm probably on the fence a little bit, which is not the best all the time, but just for the, the skeptics out there, what, what do you say to people that would say to you, well, you want to have something that looks like meat. You want it to look identical to it, but you don't want to have meat. What 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 would you say to somebody like that? Because ultimately, they, in in your estimation, they have a valid point. If you want to go everything go against everything that is, what it ethically stands for, if you put that to one side, but just put it from to get rid of you want to get rid of meat in your diet. Why do you then put in something that looks like it to replace it? Looks like me. Well, I think some of it is, I guess I'll label it psychological. Uh, you know, we're brought up with, with certain foods, unless you've been brought up vegan or plant-based your entire life. You know, we... We've been brought up with steak and hamburger and, and ham and bacon and all that. And when you make the switch, you, especially early on in the early stages of going plant-based, you will sometimes long for those types of foods. And so you wanna find a replacement for, for them, but still feel like you're, you're eating them. So I think a lot of it is psychological. I think as you become more and more experienced in plant-based eating and probably even plant-based food preparation, there are so many different things that you can create that are not, you know, plant-based versions of meats that still provide, you know, a whole host of, you know, your, your vitamins, your minerals, your nutrients, um, your, your carb, your carb needs, your protein needs, even your fat needs that you can eventually, you know, get away from that. But, you know, there's no real need to, you know, we'll make a pizza so we can make pizza dough um, and yeah, we you have the choice of using uh, plant-based cheeses or you can go without cheese. Um, you have your choice of putting on um, plant-based sources of 
Italian sausage, let's say, or you can leave that off. So it gives you sort of a wide variety. Um, there's, there's nothing wrong with making pizza and putting on plant-based cheese and you know the plant-based Italian sausage and making it look and taste like a regular pizza. Um, and maybe early on you do that, but over time you might, you know, say to yourself, okay, well, there's still a high fat content in the plant-based cheese. And if you keep oil out of your diet, then most of them are going to have oil. So you might cut those out completely. Um, and same thing with the plant-based uh, Italian sausage. But there's nothing wrong with layering, you know, like a barbecue sauce or a hot sauce or a marinara sauce on the pizza, pizza base or the pizza dough and then throwing on a ton of different vegetables and cooking it and still have a pizza. So to me, it gives you options and allows for people to transition uh, or it also allows you to eat a combination of both. Um, there's a book or a series of books that are out there uh, written by a fellow by the name of Dan uh, Butner, who for a project for National Geographic studied areas of the world where there were a high number of individuals who lived into their hundreds and those areas are called blue zones. Uh, there's one in Okinawa, there's one in Costa Rica, there's one in, uh, I think it's Sardinia. There's actually one even in the US in Loma Linda, California. And what he found, and I got a chance to listen to him talk live, so it was a pretty interesting talk and I've read some of his books. Uh, but what he found is that most of these people uh, ate a plant-based diet, but they weren't necessarily all plant-based. You know, they would have occasional pieces of lean cuts of meat, especially on special occasions. Um, they would occasionally drink alcohol and they would engage in physical activity not necessarily exercise, but just physical activity into their 70s, 80s, 90s, even hundreds. Um, and they were healthier than most people in the Western world. So I, I don't necessarily push people to go entirely plant-based because I think that's a personal decision. But I do help them understand the benefits of adding more fruits and vegetables and whole grains and beans and legumes into their diet to, uh, to, to lose weight, get healthier, um, and just overall, you know, sort of beat the effects of some of the inflammatory substances that are in the standard American diet. I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear you say that one being in California, but obviously the Californians are a little bit 
known worldwide to be a little bit more open to a lot of things. Uh, and obviously you would have probably heard this term of, of flex, flexi dieting of um, when it comes to veganism, more, more specific, probably more than plant-based. And I think I echo what you say, Mitch, because I think it's just a diff- different take on what was once upon a time, you know, a balanced uh, diet or Mediterranean diet or, or things similar to that nature. I think flexitarianism, I think it is this real reason is real term is probably uh, another addition to, if we were to really go back of what diet, diet or what meal preparation is actually key to, if we go really back to the, the people that are, uh, you know, devout paleos, you know, the, the bodybuilders and, and things of, of that nature, the, the powerlifters. Flexitarianism is really what possibly, I'm not going to, I wasn't living back then, but I would probably hazard a guess as what cavemen and women were eating. They ate whatever they could, whenever they could. So if that meant going weeks without meat, it was weak without meat. And then obviously when it came time to catch him, whatever was available, if that was meat, you had the, the meat. Whereas I think where, we, where we've got into this uh, area now within modern society of, you know, convenience, food really, is we can have anything whenever we want, wherever we want. And it's maybe lost some of its novelty of, you being slightly older than me, you know, like seasonal vegetables, seasonal fruits, whereas now in every grocery store or supermarket, pretty much the shelves are stocked year round. We've created a, probably a generation that doesn't know where food comes from, unless you take them to it, which some of those TV programs are quite funny. When you take kids from out of the city into farms, and you say, well, that's that's where the beef comes from, or that's where the pork comes from. It's like, well, it doesn't magically appear on your dinner plate. It, it's got to, it's got to come from somewhere. Be it if it's an animal product, it's a plant product. Um, I don't know. It, it will come probably come an age where I, I see this coming around in the future at some point where it's probably going to be an ethical reason towards why we shouldn't eat vegetables because they are, they all have feelings. But who's to know whether or not whether or not that, that does or does not because obviously it's a living thing, so it, it probably does feel. But unless you're maybe watching a cartoon or some of our TV advertisement here in the UK, um, since I'm not to the lots of the Brits, so Aldi's using a, they commercialise the carrot to make him uh, um, their marketing spokesperson. So that'd be funny. Hasn't I think they need to do one with probably the Looney Tunes because that'd be funny. Because uh, <laughs> one of the supermarkets did the opposite where they, they had the, they manipulated the carrot to look like it had a face to have a kind of a dig at this other supermarket. Um, so it's like, oh, I didn't notice that. It's like they had to put it in slow-mo. Ah, so that's very clever. That's very subtle, subliminal marketing towards another company. We're going to eat the competition. But obviously the point that I'm making is, is have this open-mindedness and be fle- flexible because 
I think where people are confused and a little bit from the marketing companies themselves manipulated is they're brainwashed to think I need to have low fat, low sugar, low, low salt. Obviously you and I know that's technically not true. It's lower, it's not low, but I think where people need to be educated is we need to be a little bit more flexible and a little bit more open with trying different fruits, different vegetables. Obviously I come from a, a weird household because people will ask my mother when I was a kid, how do you make James eat his vegetables? That would be the first thing that was gone off my plate. I wouldn't say I'm abnormal. It's very unusual to, to eat vegetables first and, and willing, having a child willingly do it. I didn't like every vegetable, so I was quote-unquote normal. Uh, but I was probably from a psychological perspective taught, you know, try it, try it once then make a decision. And then if you don't like it, we won't make you, because you probably come from a generation, you will stay at the table until you finish it. Whereas yep. my, mine was, I don't like, didn't like parsnips, I didn't like Brussels sprouts, but James, try one. Then if you don't like it, we won't make you eat it. Obviously as an adult now, I'll quite happily eat them because I wasn't forced to, to eat something that I particularly didn't like. I don't know whether it was the texture or the taste. I, I definitely, I think the the vegetables have been, you know, altered slightly to, to, to people's taste. As I think Brussels sprouts have become sweeter than they once were because they've 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 companies have said, well, we've taken the best of each variety to make like a Christmas one, so it tastes better. So thus we can come back to your earlier point of sell more product. Um, and that's the same with, I, I, I said the carrot with obviously the supermarket here in the UK, people have become accustomed to an orange carrot. Whereas that's not the, 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 the real variety is purple, but right. supermarkets now sell, you know, the, the rainbow variety of, you know, yellow, orange, purple. And they all, they've got, I think the yellow one is, slightly sweeter than the orange and then the purple tastes like nothing but ultimately because people have become accustomed to an orange carrot in their lifetime a carrot must be or if a carrot is a carrot it must be orange whereas i i i think if my history serves me right it comes back to the dutch and the house of orange thus they wanted to change the color of the, the orange which is, is a science. Um, and I, but I think people need to be flexible. Um, obviously, we're going to have to have, probably eat more of the stuff as we've kind of uh, demonstrated the agriculture and, and kind of created too much product. It, we've kind of neglected to actually look after it, thus create quantity, but not very good quality. So I think that five a day is going to go out the window and it might be hopefully not triple at one point, but certainly double. And obviously that shocks people because they're struggling to get five a day. Now you tell now you're going to eat 10. 
Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think I think you raised a couple of interesting issues there. One, you know, I think our our food habits tend to get formed by how we grow up, and it usually continues into adulthood unless you know if you get exposed to other things and you start to experiment and expand your your uh, I guess your repertoire of what to eat although if you really look at what most people eat they'll typically eat the same things over and over again um, month in and month out um, but yeah I think being flexible is important you know because I'll I have clients who come to me and they'll say I'm not giving up my meat and I'll say I don't want you to give up your meat you know my I eat plant-based and I want to help you understand why it's important to maybe include more plants in your bot in your diet but I'm not going to force you because that's not going to work I'm not going to force you to not eat meat if that's something you want to continue so I almost have to take an agnostic approach to some people um, because they don't want to give things up and that you know that's fine that's a personal choice that everyone has to make but there's other people who come to me and they say you know I've read a lot about it I and I need to make the change for for health or whatever the reason is and those people, they can do it on their own, but they typically don't have a plan on how to do it on their own. Um, and that's where they need the help. As a matter of fact, although this podcast is going to be released later, I, I'm actually putting out a, a post on my Facebook page today about needing a plan if you're going to do this, because you can't just go into it. I mean, you can read there's plenty of books out there to read written by famous doctors about the value of eating plant-based and you can buy some of their cookbooks and and what have you but if you go into it without having a plan and just think you can transition there's very few people who can really do that because we're really talking about a habit change and lifestyle change that needs to be coached and coached and supported um because most people can't do it on their own. There, and I'm not saying that all people can't do it on their own. Because there's plenty that can. But I think you need the, I think you need the support and the accountability and the coaching to help transition through these things. Because there's going to be a lot of questions that come up, um, from you know how to prepare food to um, how to uh, you know choose the right foods in the in the supermarket to what the right combinations should be to eat, to if I'm losing weight and I'm not exercising, I'm gonna lose pounds of fat as well as pounds of muscle. So how do I maintain my muscle mass uh, while I'm losing weight? So it, you know, the, the, the value of coaching to, to help get you through those uh, those issues I think is really important you know that's that's why you know you and I exist is to help people like do that well I, I, I echo what you say Mitch because ultimately as, as we were recording this at the beginning of January people had the 
may have may, may not made new year's resolutions who knows especially with as last year um but i probably doubt they would definitely wish for a different year the 21 to 20 but do they go in it with a, a resolution and the the right intent or do they go in with a plan most people obviously do to do do the right intention and, and never go in with a plan you and i both probably fall into that category in some retrospect in, into something uh we've obviously been uh, held accountable to to not do that in 2021 um, i've never been so prepared from a business sense i won't say in my entire life because i was pretty prepared as an athlete but i was accountable to to other people and probably to myself on a daily basis so you know the 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 small inches of bread obviously make a massive loaf because you don't see those little incremental changes. Whereas some, not most, like you echoed, will go into wanting to make wholesale changes. Not just maybe from a dietary perspective, it could be training, it could be mindset. But you have the, you don't have the foggiest to use a British uh, um, kind of slogan to go there because you have the right intentions to change. Unlike I used from obviously James Clear's Atomic Habits, your identity and your habits are, are two different things. And they're like two rams butting heads. If they're not in alignment with each other, it doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what, what the best intentions you have. If you if your new habit is not in alignment with your, your former, former self, as we will call it, it's never going to work because ultimately you're not in alignment with yourself because oh, I, I'm going to find whatever way I can to hit the self-destruct button. Uh, that self yeah. and that self-preservation it's the mind is d- determined to win, to keep you, to, to keep you comfortable, safe. Obviously, I use those two words are completely different things, but what is comfortable and what is safe, I would say easy. Obviously, I'm not going to say to do something risky, especially not now, but and I and I always say that it's not it's it's not really if it's not life and death situation, it's not really worth doing it. But be it if you need to change something drastically, it's not going to be easy. Otherwise, it will, it's not worth doing. No, no, because you're going to have your, what I'll call, what's called in psychology, your primitive lizard brain talking to you and talking you, talking you out of doing all these different things. So it is, I agree completely, it's, it's the personal values that you have for yourself. So, you know, having worked in the, in the gym, as a trainer for a number of years, you know, how many people join in January based on their new year's resolution to get fit. And by February, 90% of them aren't coming anymore. It'd be interesting to see the statistic this year though. That would be the, that's going to be the anomaly for the industry is 2021 because how many people do not go to the gym because of COVID. And ultimately, what we've known 
uh, as a result of uh, what was the trainer who was on The Biggest Loser. She, she contracted COVID because got too close to a friend of hers and cont- contracted it, and she was adamant, do not go to the gym. And that's a pretty much, uh, I won't call it an expert within our industry, a, a well-known figure within the, within the industry saying to you, it's not really worth the risk to, to, to go to, to keep your gains up. Obviously you've got your other side of the, of the fence of the ones that it is. I won't disagree with this, you know, the, the betterment of people's mental health. I would agree with that. It, it, it is a uplifter boost because I went for a walk all oh, the wee hours of this morning here just to 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 get a breath of fresh air, really, and just to blow some cobwebs off, and I felt better for doing that. So it's it even though obviously there was nobody, there was not a soul to be seen. That's not one of the reasons why I did it, but be it even though you you can be alone with your thoughts when there's nobody about. It, it does give you a little bit of psychological boost. So I can see where the, the the governments themselves are in a hard place because the science back it, well, this place, but obviously you and I know there's not the most cleanliness place of, to start with, but um, obviously there's benefits for both uh, sides, be it online in, in, in our case, you're kind of a hybrid in my case, or for the people that are devout, as we're recording this, the gyms are shut in the UK. So, but be it for the US, you can go to the gym if you choose to. But ultimately, there's a, a probably always a risk, but you've got to be able to stick with your guns in terms of if, it, if it's going to be able to get the best out of you. And you can't do it in the confines of your house. You're going to have to do it. Uh, I read a pretty eerie and scary post somebody shared on, I think it was Facebook last night, of you're at risk. You self-isolate and don't worry what I, what I do, which I think is what's wrong with society to a certain extent, of, you know, there's no um, consequence for people's actions, that's probably an undertone to, we talk about accountability, but you know, self-accountability that they, I'm going to do whatever I want. Obviously the want, if it's good, bad or indifferent, if it's bad, I'm not going to weigh up the consequences. I'm, I'm not going to take ownership. Obviously what we talked about off air is fall into that ballpark. But I think people need to take a little bit more ownership, uh, resolve, accountability of their own actions. You and I as coaches, I won't say should not be here. Obviously, we're going to always help because that's who we are as human beings. But you need to take some of the load yourself. I praise you for taking the balls by the horns and fessing up to that you have a problem 
but we need to fix it together. Not somebody, you know, here's my problem. Boom. I'm going to put it at your foot, at your feet and you fix it. If it was that easy, you and I would be millionaires. Uh, We just get on with it. So, okay, here's your problem. I'll put it on my back. I'm going to get on with it. Here you go. Here's your problem back a couple of weeks later. Fixed next. But obviously life doesn't work like that. But obviously where I think the problem relies to a certain extent is obviously the social influence, you know, the celebrity ism that's being being correct, being created of famous for being famous. So people want to have, want to be able to cut corners. I want to be able to get from point A to B as quickly as possible. Uh, Obviously there's, there's big celebrities out there wanted to become famous because they wanted to become famous, which, which says if you actually listen back to that statement, there is no, there's no purpose to that intent. Why, why do you want to be famous? Technically that's infamous, which, which is the, which would be the real word. If you look it up in the dictionary, you're famous technically for something bad. If we use, I don't want to get political too much. We use Hitler, generally bad. Um, China, you know, during the, the Red Revolution, from the Western perspective, bad. Obviously, everything that loses, bad. But that is still celebrity because it's it's not being forgotten. Irrespective of it was good, but we learn from mistakes i would hope as a as a race but ultimately when we look at ourselves maybe not so much but what you mentioned when it comes down to food you can probably put over a blanket over a person because if you haven't been taught those kind of values who are you to know any different and ultimately you know, the people that say, I can't change, my family can't change because that's what we've ever known. It probably comes down to about two or two, three different factors. You don't want to. You don't know any difference. And you've not been taught any different. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. I think the other category is probably people who live in what's called food deserts. So in the inner city where there might not be any grocery stores except for going to a convenience store, which is just loaded with junk food. So you might not even have access to, you know, healthier food. I think that's an issue that somehow has to be addressed. And I, I know there's a program in, there was a program at least a year ago uh, or so in, in New York City where they were taking inner city youth and in some of the schools they had set up hydroponic gardens to grow food. And then they were teaching the kids how to prepare the food that was grown hydroponically. Um, so that they could eat healthier 
um, so they there there's probably a need for more of that, especially in these areas that have food deserts uh, that are food deserts and uh, and that's a whole different conversation. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's hard to change. You know, it's just. It, I guess it's no different than people who there's some people who are being wheeled into the operating room on a gurney about to have their chest cracked open for open heart surgery and still won't make any changes to their lifestyle. Uh, and then there are others who are in that same situation who will make major changes to their lifestyle because they don't want to go through it again. Um, so, you know, it comes down to individual choice um, and everyone's got to make their own decision. But there's there's enough resources out there uh, and not food resources as much as just learning resources to be able to educate people if they want to be uh, or choose to be educated more in terms of different choices that are available. Uh, in terms of what to eat, and and to me, falling back on the excuse that, but a lot of people use this. You know, this is the way my mom prepared food. This is the way my grandma prepared food. I'm going to do it the same way, or whatever. Um, you know, if you're satisfied with that, then you know, great. But if you're morbidly obese and not willing to make change, make changes in, in, in your lifestyle um, because you're just setting your, your, your ways, then you know, think about the impact that you not being there might be on all the people that rely on you, whether it's your family, your friends, your coworkers, whatever the case may be. And do you really want to risk dying early because you were resistant to making a change in your life? Um, and again, that's a personal choice um, and everyone's gonna make a different one. And some people you can't, you can't get them to see the light and that's fine. I mean, that's personal decision. But for others, you know, even if you can get them that, you know, I've had a lot of clients, you know, come, living in the southern part of the U.S., you know, most people, when they eat vegetables, they're they're fried. You know, they're fried in, in oil or, or fat or whatever. Uh, that's the only way they know how to eat vegetables. But you know, if you can just give them another option of how about, you know, roasting them or steaming them or baking them, or maybe even eating them raw, you know, give it a shot and see what you think. Um, because if, if you can just make one small step by switching from, let's say, deep fried vegetables to roasted vegetables, You've now made a a big impact 
on your health and who knows where that will lead from there. So. My penultimate question to you then, Mitch, is I'm going to uplift people from the morbid morbidity we're talking about. Uh, this is a bit of <laughs> intrigue now for people. If you had to sit down with any coach dead or alive, who would that be and why? Any coach dead or alive? I think from an athletic standpoint, I would have loved to spend some time with, and he's still alive, uh, Phil Jackson. Um, and it's interesting because growing up in Chicago and living up there for a while, we actually lived near the Chicago Bulls practice facility when he was a coach there. And my young kids, uh, when my kids were young, my two boys were young. Uh, they went to basketball camp at the Bulls uh, practice facility. And their coaches actually were uh, Phil Jackson's sons. So they got exposed to some of that philosophy. But I, I would have loved to have been able to sit down to to, to talk with him because one, I think he had a great coaching style, but two, he had a very interesting outlook on life that was different than most uh, most coaches in sports. I think he made a major impact on his players' lives beyond the basketball court. And my final question before we wrap up the episode, if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? I think if you have any concerns about your health or well, well-being and you want to have a quality of life that allows you to do all the things that you want to be able to do throughout your life, then take care of yourself from both a nutrition as well as exercise standpoint. And some of that probably starts with some mindset work and changing some of your belief systems. And I think if you do that, you can you can lead a, a very healthy and productive and long life that can impact and influence a lot of people, both in your family as well as you know beyond your family. So once again, Mitch, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. James, I appreciate it. I always enjoy speaking with you. That's my pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed this episode and got loads from it. Anything that was included and discussed will be available in the show notes below. And I would love to hear from you. Come and connect and ask your questions. I've been James Roberts from jamesowenroberts.com. Remember this quote by Chris Hart. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think and execute. 
not by some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. <laughs>